0: Well, it is a really big day in the life of our church as we've been thinking about this Pursue Our Place initiative. We've been looking at the church in Antioch. We've been studying this church in the book of Acts and we have a lot to learn from this church. Uh, And and I'm sure we'll go back to Antioch, but but today um, I wanna look at a passage that we've looked at many times. Uh, It's it's an important passage for our church and, and just in light of this being such a big day in light of uh, really us taking a big step forward, really kind of from a church plant to an established church here in the city of Atlanta, I think we need to go back to this passage that really has been foundational for our identity. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Second Corinthians Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. The passage related to the church in Antioch. It was the church in Antioch that sent out Paul to be a missionary. In his second missionary journey, he was able to plant uh, this church in Corinth that now he's instructing, that now he's writing to, now he's telling them about what it means to have a spiritual life, what it really means to have a life in Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, please read with me as I read aloud. Of course, the Apostle Paul gives us these words, but he's writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's hear together the word of Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned, there's a lot going on in this passage. It's been incredibly foundational for who we are as a church Christ covenant. There's three particular things that, that instructs us in that I want to look with you Um, today, look at with you today. The first is who we are, the second is what we're doing, and the third is how we do it. Who we are, what we're doing, how we do it. So who we are, this is an amazing passage when you realize that ultimately, what it's saying to us is that, that ultimately we are spiritual beings. It says, we regard no one according to the flesh. What if everyone that you ever met was more than they appeared to be, was more than just what you could see? What if everyone you met was spiritual and not just physical? That's what this passage is saying. Now, we weigh people when we meet them by the flesh, right? It's natural. This person is successful. This person has a big job. This person has this great education. This person has a lot of money. This person lives in a nice house. This person's good looking. This person's interesting, right? We we weigh people. We It's very natural for us to do this. We consider people according to the flesh. I was driving yesterday. With uh, John Kellis and Raynor, my two sons, and we were driving down Habersham, kind of through the heart of Buckhead. And John Kellis said, "Hey, Dad, what do you have to do to live in one of these houses?" <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I talked to him about a couple of jobs. I said, "Well, you know, a lot of different guys you can make do, really, be successful." But then I said to him, "But you know, John Kellis, your value, your worth, doesn't come through your job. It doesn't come to you through the kind of house you live in." I said, you know what, John Kellis? I was like, in the eyes of God, you as a spiritual being, of course I'm meditating on this text, but I said, you as a spiritual being, you're, you're just as valuable, you're, you're just as worthful as any of these folks. But that's not, that's not natural, right? We, we tend to regard people according to the flesh, but what if there was more going on and if we would get this, I want you to hear this, Christ Covenant. If, if Christ's Covenant would not regard people according to the flesh, if we would see people, every person as a spiritual being, this would totally change everything about you. It would change the way you treat people, it would change how you live your life, it would change what you value, Is the most important thing about you the flesh part of you or the spiritual part of you? Is the most important thing about you what people can perceive, the the eyes of the flesh, or is it what God sees, the eyes of God? You know, C.S. Lewis has this really powerful passage. He's, He's kind of reflecting on this. This is from his book, The Weight of Glory. And he's talking about our spiritual value or our spiritual life. He says this, I think we have the, 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 uh, the passage on the screen. It says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. You see what he's saying there? He's saying we don't see people rightly. We see people according to the flesh. But what if we started seeing people as spiritual beings whose value was ultimately in if they knew God or if they didn't know God. They were, they, were even, they were either moving toward God and toward His glory and toward His renewal, or they were moving toward corruption and toward judgment. What if we really saw people like this? He then goes on to say, listen to this, he said, all day long we are, in some degree or another, helping each other to move to one of these two destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all love, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is the immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. We're either moving them toward immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We regard no one according to the flesh. Everyone is a spiritual being. Who they are spiritually is who they are ultimately. And I think as we get started, that's a great question to ask yourself, who are you? Where is your value? What do you reach for to find your poise, to find your identity? I always say this, when you get cut off in traffic, (laughs) when someone offends you, when you get hurt, what's the thought that comes to your mind? What's the redeeming thought that comes to your mind? Is it they just cut off the regional manager of my business? Is it they just cut off somebody who lives in this neighborhood or that neighborhood? that they just cut off a graduate of? Or do you see them as a spiritual being and you understand yourself as someone who knows the Lord? We regard no one according to the flesh. Now Paul goes on, he says, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we regard him thus no longer. What he's saying here is when Jesus came, we didn't know who he was. We didn't rightly see him. People either, if you just read this in the Gospels, they either disregarded Jesus, ah, the carpenter's son. Who is he? He's a nobody. They regarded him according to the flesh. Or because of his signs, they kind of regarded him in the wrong sense of the flesh. Maybe he'll be a ruler. Maybe he'll defeat the Romans. Maybe he'll reestablish the power of Israel. But what Paul is saying, now we know better, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't just of the flesh, he he was more than that. We should have regarded him as spiritual. We should have seen what he was doing. Jesus wasn't just a man, Jesus is God. Jesus is bringing about a new creation. This is amazing if you think about it, that in Jesus, the divine and the mortal, the physical and the spiritual come together. They unite, that we can actually know God in Christ, this this other, this out there that we all know exists has come close. Jesus was lifting up the flesh to the spiritual. And if you know Christ, your identity has totally changed. This, this is why, look at verse 17, this very famous verse. If anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The first thing this text does, it tells us who we are. We are new creations in Christ. But it also asks the question, who are you, (laughs) right? Are you really a new creation in Christ? Are you really ultimately spiritual? Are you you really more than just what you've achieved, what people can observe about you? Is there more to your life going on? And you know what? This is what I love about this church. Spiritual beings called out to be together. And if you come to First Sunday, we talk a lot about the church, what is the church? What is the church? I think we, we are in a bit of what I like to call an ecclesiological crisis, right? What is the church? When I was a kid, we, we related the church too much to the building, right? Come to my church, right? And we talked about our buildings. We would say, we have an awesome sanctuary. We have gymnasium. We have this. We have that. Come, we have all these amenities. Come to our building, right? And then it kind of shifted, right? The church became more of an event. Let's go to the event, right? It's something that you attend. Let's attend this event together. It's amazing, and we can consume good music and good preaching. Now it's kind of interesting. In the age of stream content, church is kind of becoming content that you consume. I, I, I hear people saying, well, I have my church on Tuesday morning in my pajamas, right? If you're saying that, if that's church, then what is church? It's content, right? It's just something that you consume that maybe will help you along the way. But is any of this the church as actually defined by Jesus, the Lord of the church, or is this just some sort of self-help with the Bible verse, right? The, the, The New Testament word for the church is ecclesia. The ecclesia. And and people have struggled to understand what this means. But here's really kind of the essence of it. The ecclesia. Most of the time, sometimes in the in the New Testament it's referred to the universal church, all Christians everywhere. But most of the time it's talking about this ecclesia is talking about the local church. And the way I like to define this word, I think we have it on the screen, is the people, the people not the event, not the building, the people that have been called out by the gospel, that have been called together uh, in the gospel, and that are sent on mission for the gospel. What is the ecclesia? What is the church? You are the church. The people called out by the gospel, called out by the gospel, the people that know that they're spiritual beings, the people that have a relationship with the Lord, The new creation, and I love that the passage, it goes on to say all of this is from God. How were you called out? How did you get called out? How did you become a new creation? You know how? God, all of this is from God. God has reconciled us, God has sent a savior for us, God has sent Jesus to trade places with us, to take on our sin and to actually lead us into a relationship with God. God has done this, all of this is from God and because of what Jesus has done, people like you and me, little people like you and me can know God, that is an enormous claim. I can't make a bigger claim I could stand up here and, and say I won the Super Bowl or that you know I used to be the President of the United States and you'd be like, what's he saying, you know? He's talking nonsense, but I, I can make a bigger claim than that, I can stand up here and say that I know God and that's possible because of Christ, it's totally reoriented me. And if you know God, it totally reorients you. You can have a relationship with God that this relationship can transcend anything. And if you know God, there is an inner peace, there is a poise, there is a strength that you can have no matter the circumstance. There's an enormous joy, there's an inner life. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when talking about this, He was talking about people that that didn't know God, that didn't have this kind of inner life. And he said this, he said, the ultimate trouble with the man that doesn't know God is that he knows nothing of the inner being. His whole life is bound by what he's aware of. That is to say, his sensations within himself, his correspondence with the world of things that can be seen and heard and felt and handled, this is his only and his total life. He has no inner being to retreat to in times of trouble and stress and trial. He's dependent completely on the circumstances of his outward life. He's completely and entirely controlled by them. He lives in one realm only, and so when he's in distress, he has has to fall back on psychology or drugs or various tricks whatever he does to 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 trick himself it could be i've got to go do this i've got to go you know make another deal i've got to go you know be with this person i've got to do something to make myself feel important but that's not you you're a new creation you know god it, it, not because of something that you've earned. You're not the value of what you've earned. You're not the value of what you've accomplished. No, that's not you at all. The church are the kind of people that have heard this message, this reconciling message. You can know God and Jesus and that have been called out by it. The people called out and called together. This is why we named our church Christ Covenant. Christ Covenant's not just a cool name to us or a cool word to us. It actually means something. We've been called out by Christ. We've been called together in a covenant relationship in Christ. We're for one another. We're called to love one another. We're called to be one with another, in community with one another. We aren't just people that consume content alongside together, no. We are a body that's stirring one another along, that's bearing with one another in love. We have been called out. We've been called together and we've been sent out on mission. And what is the mission? And this gets us to the second point. This tells us who we are. We're a new creation in Christ called out by the gospel. But secondly, what are we doing? What are we supposed to be doing? Look at verse 17 again. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The hope of the gospel is that through the gospel, through faith in Christ, through trusting in Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself and here's what we're supposed to be doing. He's invited us to be a part of the work of reconciliation. The reconciled now enter the work of reconciliation. Look at verse 18 again. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to be reconcilers. Verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Man, what a responsibility. Who are you? You are spiritual beings. What are you supposed to do to be a part of God's work of bringing reconciliation, of reconciling the world to himself? This is the highest calling. What if you could introduce someone to the Lord? What if you could stir one another along to know God? This is what God has called us to do. What if this little church here in Atlanta could be a part of reconciling this city to the Lord? What if we could be the people, hear this, that actually are a part of reconciling all of these folks around us to God? Again, back to the Lewis quote, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption as if you now meet at all only in a nightmare. All day long, This is this ministry all day long. In some degree or another, we are helping each other to move to one of these two destinations. In light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we conduct all of our dealings with another, all friendships, all love, all play, all politics, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we engage with people, how we align our lives, what jobs we do, how we love our local church. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. God is inviting us to join in this work of reconciliation. And again, this is why our understanding of the church, the people who've been called out by the gospel who've been called together in the gospel and who've been sent out on mission for the gospel. This is why our understanding of the church is so important. The church is not a building or content or an event. The church is people, the people that have been called out, called together and sent out by the gospel. And we have this rhythm of gathering and scattering. Right now we're gathering. And we need to gather, oh, we need this. We need this, I need this. I was so encouraged, even just in the few moments that we had of worship, I was reminded of who I am. I was reminded of who God is. I was reminded of what is ultimately important. This is why we need to gather. We're reminded of our true identity. We're reminded of this kingdom of Christ that we're really a part of. It's it's like every time we gather, it's a little taste of the kingdom. It's a signpost of when we'll be gathered together around the eternal throne of God. I love to gather, but God has called us not just to gather. He's called us to scatter. Why? to do this work of reconciliation, to be a part of this ministry. When we scatter, we are on mission for the Lord. We're we're a part of reconciling the world back to God. And again, we do this in a number of different ways. You do this, oh, you do this. (laughs) I'm so encouraged. You know, even just this week, I was reflecting on some of you who have come around a member that's now of our congregation who was so broken a couple years ago, so broken. And some of you have come around him and loved him and spoken truth to him in love, and now this, this man is healed. And he's walking with this Lord, and God has done an amazing work in his life. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about a, another couple of you guys that I know, you, you met this young man, he was searching for truth. He'd never, he had, had no kind of access to God or to the Bible, and you just bore with him, and you sat with him, and you taught him, and now this guy loves the Lord. I was thinking about some other a younger couple in our church, and they give so much of their free time just to serve the student ministry, week in, week out, spending time with students, and I'm just thinking, gosh, these people, they are a part of the work of reconciliation, and I love it. I'm drawn to that. You know, the days of our church when there was only like you know, 12 folks were kind of good for me as a pastor. I knew everybody really well. I knew what they were doing. I knew how they were engaged. I knew exactly what they were up to. And, and now this, is, this gets harder for me, obviously. But you know what, I, 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 want you, I want you to hear this. I can even say to some of you who you know I only hear about, I only know about in, in, in a little bit more of a distant way, I don't know you that well. I can honestly say that I love you because I'm of you, right? It's like, yes. Th- You get it, I get it. We are called by God to this work of reconciliation. We're doing the same thing, we are of the same thing. God has called us into this work together. It's Christ that does this, see. It's Christ that has covenanted us together, that has joined us together to be a part of this work. But let's be honest, the work of reconciliation because you're out there working, serving, trying to stir people toward the Lord, it can be exhausting. When we scatter, if you're really about the work of reconciliation, this is a good test for you. You should come to service every Sunday exhausted, needing the gathering. That's a good litmus test. Are you about this work of reconciliation? What is your attitude when you get here? If you're really out there, you, you come in and you're like, oh, finally, to be in the gathering of other believers, to be stirred along by these other believers, we desperately need the gathering. This is this beautiful rhythm of the church. When we gather, it pushes us to scatter, but when we scatter, when we scatter rightly, ah, oh, it draws us back into the gathering because we need one another. We need to be around the people that are called out I love verse 20, this is who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. If you've come around Christ's covenant at all, you know this passage, I reference this all the time. That we're called to be kingdom ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a citizen of one country And all of his wealth and identity and his security and his protection and his culture and his language and his family, they're all bound in that country. Those are his people. That is his identity, but he is not there. He or she is now serving in another country. They're they're, they're away from their home country to work for the good of the other country, to work for the good of the other people and the good of their home country. That's exactly who you are in Christ. Your true identity, your real identity is as a part of this new creation, this new creation in Christ, a part of this new kingdom in Christ, and all of your wealth and identity and security is wrapped up in who you are spiritually that you know God. But we have a homeland, right? We have a homeland in in the kingdom of Christ, and now we're here, we're scattered here in all of these different places and all of these different neighborhoods to work for the good of these people, to join with Christ in this ministry of reconciliation. This is ambassador work. You know, we, we don't need a building necessarily to do this, to gather and scatter, to be ambassadors. But man, I I am so hopeful if the Lord could give us this. You know what ambassadors have is an embassy. (laughs) A place where they can kind of in this distant land, in this foreign place, be on their home soil. And and what if the Lord could give us just a sacred place that we know is a place where we can go and be recharged and stirred along, and fed, and reminded of who we are so that we can scatter again to join the Lord in this reconciling work. Gathering and scattering, this is our rhythm. So who are you? You are a new creation. What are you called to do? The ministry of reconciliation. But how does this happen? How does God do it? How is God reconciling the world back to himself? Answer, only in Jesus Look at verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's such a clear verse. One of the reasons we come back is there's so much to this. Let me just give you a little outline here. Here, Here's five things, five kind of basic things. This is how God has done this reconciling work. Five basic things to understand, really, the gospel. When we talk about the gospel calling us out, these are five things that we believe. First, we believe that God loves us, that for our sake, God the Father sent Jesus, his son, who is also God, to earth, and Jesus willingly came Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of his Father, became a man like us. This most amazing miracle, we call it the incarnation, that God became a man. The transcendent God became like us. He endured this life, as the old catechism said, he endured all the miseries of this life to be like us, to identify with us in every way so that we could identify with him. Second, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was like us, he was tempted in every way that we, are, but he knew no sin, right? He never sinned, just like we see here. He knew no sin, he lived out God's order, he lived in perfect adherence to the way of God. And not just in a kind of external way, he actually was righteous, he actually loved righteousness, he actually loved God's order. Third, Jesus became our sin, the sinless son of God, became our sin. You see, our greatest problem is that sin, our sin, our rebellion against God separates us from God. Holiness has no place with unholiness and God is totally just. God will settle all accounts. If you have a great debt, either you have to pay it or someone has to pay it on your behalf. Someone has to take on the debt. And that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus who lived out righteousness, who had no debt of his own, took on our debt, took on our debt and died in our place. He who knew no sin became our sin and suffered the judgment of God. And fourth, Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead He overcame this. He was raised. This gives us the hope in Christ that we have a future, that Jesus is alive and that his kingdom is alive. And just as he was raised, we will be raised with him, that we can overcome death, that we can actually have an eternal home with God where we can actually be made right and fully know and experience the Lord. And then fifth, Christians believe that Jesus will return, that he'll do this, that he'll accomplish these things, that he will fully and forever establish his kingdom. And the amazing thing about the gospel is this kingdom that we so hope in where all will be fully made right, we can already taste it. Even this is a taste. One of the reasons that I love to gather with the church is it's a taste, it's a foretaste, it's a taste of the kingdom. When the saints of God come together to worship the Lord, it's a a taste of what it will be like when we're with the Lord forever. When you're you're working in ministry and you feel that the Lord is using you and you feel God's pleasure, it's a taste. When, When you're with someone that you love in Christian community and you stir one another along and you see that your lives are being changed because of one another, it's a taste. When you see baptism and the Lord's Supper and you just experience the Lord in a new way, it's a taste. When you're reading the Bible and it's as if you're really hearing from the Lord, it's a taste. We call this the already and not yet of the kingdom. It's not yet fully known, but it's we've tasted it. It's already here, but it's not yet fully known because we have work to do. We, we have to be about this work of reconciliation. God has left us here to join him in this work. And I love how Paul what Paul does in verse 20. He's talking about this, this glorious work of the gospel. He's talking about the hope that we have that we're new creations in Christ. And in the middle of this, this incredible display of biblical doctrine, what does he do? He starts saying to the people in Corinth, we implore you. Right. If you don't get this, or if you're just getting this for the first time, we implore you on behalf of Christ, you be reconciled to God. In Christ, you can be reconciled to God. You can know God. And I, like Paul, implore you, be reconciled to God. Look to Christ. Repent of your sins. See what God has done for you. Be reconciled to God. Join in this new creation. Take a hold of the spiritual life that God wants to give you. Take a hold of this work of reconciliation that he wants to use you for. And remember that Christ has done this. That Christ loves you. That he's taken on your sin. He's he's paid your debt. If you'll look to him in faith, you have a hope of an eternal life where all has been settled. That perfection that you know in your heart, that rightness that you know in your heart, Christ is accomplishing. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we come here in this moment recognizing that we are a new creation in Christ and that you have invited us into this work of reconciliation and it's all in what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, now in this moment, as we're as we're thinking about these things, as we're thinking about really our lives, who we are, what what we're going to value, Lord, lead us in to this ministry of reconciliation. Help us to be a part of your work. Help us to see ourselves ultimately not as just physical beings, fleshly beings, and what we've accomplished, what we can amass for ourselves here in this lives, but as people who know God. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you'd speak to us now that you would turn our hearts toward you. Many who have turned to you many times before in their lives, you would turn our hearts to you again. Many, Lord, maybe for the first time, you would turn their hearts to you, that they would see the hope that they have in Jesus, that they would be reconciled to you in Jesus, who for our sake, even though he knew no sin, became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we pray these in, things in his name and for his sake, amen. Well, our response today is a very active and meaningful response. And I just wanna invite you, it is particularly, obviously, if you're a member of our church, and I hope you've been praying about this and thinking about this, to to go ahead and now begin filling out this card. This is part of our work of reconciliation. This is part of how we're joining in the work of the Lord, what he's doing. And I hope and I pray that the Lord has led you. Again, we don't wanna preempt you or manipulate you in any way. I, I want you to be led by God at this time and to obey him and to be sacrificial as you do. So, for the members of our church, I invite you even now to begin filling that out. I'm going to call you here forward in a few moments. Our elders are going to be standing throughout the room, and I want to say this to you too: if if God is doing something in your life today, I, I invite you to come also. The, the elders will be there with their spouses. If you're a woman, maybe you can talk to the spouse. If you're a man, maybe you can talk to the elder. If there's too many folks at your elder, you can you can. Find someone, there'll be somebody else to, to talk to, you. but if God is doing something, you're like, just say, go, go up to that pastor, that elder that's standing before you and just say, hey, look, I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about what it means to know Jesus. I, I need you to pray for me. I need help to understand this. Help me take this next step of faith. Help me to be reconciled to God. We would love that opportunity. But I just want to encourage you to take about 60 or 90 seconds now. if If you haven't had a chance to fill out your card, to do so now. If you have, to pray over it. And then we'll come forward here in just a few moments as a time of commitment.